Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome dear brothers and sisters to what we hope will be, jazakallah khair, a monthly lecture that we do in the city of Wales. We're very grateful to the South Wales Islamic Centre, its committee, its imam, and all of those involved, the volunteers, barakallah feekum, for facilitating this and giving the opportunity. And this masjid is at the heart of our community. It is central to us and who we are as Qadifian Muslims. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow the light of Iman and Barakat and Khairat to emit from this masjid. And to make this a beginning of many projects and an extension of the projects that this masjid already carries out. Allahumma ameen. So in the last 100 years, so many things have changed globally. So many things have developed at an exponential rate. So many things have devolved as well, mainly from a khuluqi moral perspective. And perhaps nothing has evolved as fast as the means of communication. If we go through a quick breakdown of what communication was like since antiquity, in the beginning it was largely an oral transmission. People saying something, hearing it, memorizing it, and then passing it on to others. Then this would gradually develop and people would start engraving things on stone tablets and then stone became uh, bones, bones became leather parchments that they would write on and then those leather parchments became scrolls of sophisticated paper and communication was growing and becoming more effective and more detailed. And then things began to evolve yet further and now there was the invention of what they call the homing pigeons, giving a pigeon or training birds to take a message and to transfer it from country to country. And then human messengers would also take messages, transferring it from person to person, country to country, continent to continent, on foot or on horseback. They would also develop the technique or the technology of relay stations using fire to communicate messages. So one station would light up with fire, which would ignite another station, which would ignite another station, and a message is communicated from country to country or province to province. The biggest shift in communication, however, was around, you can say, in the early parts of the 1990s, when commercial internet service providers emerged and internet had become a household product for everyone to use, to communicate for the first time in human history at the speed of light. So the post office had happened, the newspaper had happened, magazines were printed. This was in Europe. Now you have communication at the speed of light from Europe to China within a fraction of a second. Then we fast forward to around 2004, where you had a gentleman, a Harvard University student at the time, by the name of Mark Zuckerberg, who 
developed the first social media platform known as Facebook. And the intention of Facebook was just to be used by other fellow students at his university at Harvard in America. And everyone in the university started using it. It just exploded in popularity. Then most of the universities in Boston started to use it. And within just two years, in 2006, the whole globe was familiar with this product called Facebook, with hundreds of millions of subscribers. And then, since then, you had the likes of uh, LinkedIn and uh, MySpace, and of course, Twitter and Instagram, and more recently, TikTok. And soon, this very lecture, whoever watches it on the video, will become outdated. It'll be out of date. It loses shelf life because we stopped at TikTok. There's going to be a whole range of other social media platforms that we haven't listed. Things are still evolving. What is interesting, dear brothers and sisters, is that our Nabi Prophet predicted that there will be, towards the end of time, a change in the way that people communicate. He said in the hadith which Ahmed narrates on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, he said, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لَا تَقُومُ السَّاعَةُ حَتَّى يُكَلِّمَ الْإِنسُ أَسِّبَاعُ I swear by the one who owns my life, he said, the day of judgment is not going to happen until a day comes when man will be speaking to wild creatures. And the day will come when man will speak into the tip of his whip and will speak to the shoelace of his sandal, the lace of his sandal. And his thigh will tell him about what his family were getting up to since he left them. What does this mean? Is this in reference to mobile phone technology? Allah knows best. The point is that he وسلم, prophesies that there's going to be what? A change in? A change in communication. Now without doubt, and it goes without saying, social media has brought with it so much good from an Islamic perspective. The ability to advertise a talk like this, record it, publish it, share it, allowing people from the four corners of the globe to benefit from it. The countless brothers and sisters who spend their evenings thinking about how to carefully craft that next Islamic reminder to help people find their way back to their religion. Thousands of people who found their way to Islam through social media. Quran that is recited, hadith that is promoted, misinformation that is corrected. La ilaha illallah. So much khair. And when someone does a good because of something you post, expect the same reward without any of their reward detracting. It has brought with it opportunities, not just from an Islamic perspective, from a non-Muslim, secular perspective, a business perspective, career perspective. LinkedIn, to know the other fellow prof professionals out there, to know your tribesmen, to know your family, to communicate with people in Philistine or in Yemen or in Pakistan, Somalia. It helps you discover who your cousins are, your aunties are, your greats are. 
Those who want to further their career, climb up the ladder, the corporate ladder, it helps you do that by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's permission. So on and so forth. That's on one side of the spectrum, but on the other side of the spectrum, it has also brought with it a heap full of harms on the adults and on the children as well, social media. Although this is not the focus of this particular talk, but what are some of these harms? To list just a few. A person's nightlife is quite ruined if you become obsessively addictive with social media. You can't sleep a proper full night anymore. These blue light emissions that you are absorbing all of the time, it affects your sleep rhythms. And then if you add to that, that obsessive twitch to quickly uh, uh, un or remove the fly mode from your phone and to check your latest notification, and then you get that next hit of dopamine and adrenaline, and now you're awake and you can't sleep, and it becomes even shorter of a night. So you're knackered in the night, you can't sleep, and by day you're knackered because you haven't slept, and then your whole life becomes a misery. That's one thing. A second thing, think about your ability to be alone with Allah, alone with yourself. Young boys, young girls can't do that anymore. Because social media has, for the most part, removed that ability from us. Because every opportunity that you're not speaking to someone or working or doing something, it's an opportunity to put your hand in your pocket and to see what's going on on the other side of the world. So you have no time for yourself. So with the passage of 5, 10, 15 years, you lose the ability of finding contentment with just being alone. To sit in khalwa, privacy with Allah Jalla Jalalu. A lot of us can't do that, especially the younger generation. Because you're looking inwardly, or, or you're looking outwardly all of the time. Outwardly, outwardly, outwardly. And then when you're sat alone, you're looking outwardly into what the world is doing. You are unable to sit and to think inwardly for a moment about your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is an issue. One of the greatest ways of boosting Iman is learning how to sit alone, without a phone, without a friend, without a parent for a moment in your day or night. And for many of us, we can't do that anymore. Because we feel that there's value in us that's missing, so we try to find that value elsewhere. That's number two. Number three. There's heaps of evidence now to prove beyond fact that some of the loneliest, saddest, most depressed and anxious people on planet Earth are those who use their phones, their social media specifically most. It's interesting, you think that the more friends you had online, the less lonely you feel. That's not the situation, that's not the science at all actually. It's like the more chocolate you have in an aisle in a super, supermarket does not help you curb your desire for chocolate anymore than an aisle that has fewer chocolates. Lonely. Why? Because you are constantly comparing your life, your miserable or boring life that doesn't have vacations, doesn't have business, doesn't have the latest Jordans. You're comparing your life to the highlight reel of your neighbor, to the highlight reel of someone in Australia. And they've removed all of the blemishes and the flaws of their day. So they feel lonely. Social media users feel isolated. They feel inadequate. That's number three. Number four, look at how social media has for many people made them completely socially incompetent, especially maybe the younger generation, Gen Z. They, they can't hold a long and deep and meaningful conversation with you looking at you eye to eye. That's gone. 
Because over the passage of years, when you're obsessively using social media, what happens? Your mind now is hardwired and short-circuited to only be able to deal with short comments, LOLs, thumbs up, likes, hashtags, shares. And you lose the ability to become an interpersonal human being. You can't do it anymore. So social media teaches you that if there is a problem in your relationships, don't worry, you can just get out of it. Just click the blog button. End of story. Does that represent reality? Reality is far more sophisticated than that. Far more messy, far more entangled, far more intertwined. You've got to be intelligent, you've got to be socially smart, you've got to look at people, you've got to talk with them, you've got to know how to deal with difficult circumstances. Show social media says to you that this is an image that you gape over, you uh, impress over, you share, you comment, you like, and that's it. It doesn't teach you to look at a woman, for example, as a mother or a, uh, as a neighbor. It doesn't train you, doesn't give you those tools. It strips you of them. So you're left socially incompetent. Maybe you feel that. I have felt that. And I've experienced, as some of you have, the generation or the era before social media and after social media. I can tell you I'm not the same person. And alhamdulillah, I'm taking a break at this moment in time. It's been about a year and a half. I'm fasting, trying to give myself a break. And I have seen the effects of the detox. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's been phenomenal. So that's another thing. The element of what? The element of what, brothers? What were we just talking about? How it makes people? Socially incompetent. Add to the list another point. This is your number five, and that is, look at how social media, with time and with obsession, with addiction, it can infantilize your mind. It can make your brain like the brain of an infant child. What do children love the most? Flashing lights and uh, buzzing sounds. What does social media train you, train you to love the most? Flashing lights, buzzing sounds. They just call them more sophisticated terms like notifications. And then look at the tantrum that the child uh, kicks up when he or she, they have their desires not met there and then. Instant gratification. Why not? It's now. The child kicks up a fuss. They, they can't, they're not patient. They're not resilient. They're just weak stuff now. And the users of social media, what have they become? Like a child. Living off the next dopamine hit. Like an addict. Living and waiting for the next notification to feel that you're validated by society. Otherwise, you don't feel that buzz, that hit. Looking for instant gratification. We become childlike with scattered attention. We're unable to focus. You pick up a book, you read half a page, and then you have that yearning to see what's going on on, the, on your socials. But your phone hasn't even gone off. It's a phantom notification, they call it. You feel that your phone has gone off, but it hasn't gone off. It's an imagination. Because the, wired, the brain has been rewired. So that a human being becomes childlike, living off instant gratification, tantrums when you don't get the way you want, distracted, anxious, all over the place, and unable to carry out a meaningful task. So this is putting social media in the balance. Therefore, brothers and sisters, anything, take it as a rule, that causes so much change in society, Anything that is adopted by most of humanity requires attention from us. And to minimally dedicate to it a talk like this or a series as we have done before in other masajid. 
So I want to share with you a, a home test kit. You're going to go home this evening, inshallah, brothers and sisters, with a home test kit you can take with you to your house. And you have seven parts that make up this home test kit. You test yourself. If you find that you fail this criteria of seven points I'm going to share with you, then realize that you're testing positive for social media addiction. And therefore, there is a huge reshuffling that you've got to make in your life. Seven milestones, seven litmus tests I want you to think about. And you then decide whether social media is the best thing for you or not. People will come with different answers at the end of this. Take note of it. Number one, the element of gender interactions. Boys and girls talking, communicating, befriending one another on social media. This is the first point we'd like to speak about. Can boys and friends, boys and girls just be friends? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, وَجَعَلْنَا بَعْضَكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ we have made you a fitna for one another, Allah said. Will you be patient? Undoubtedly, communication did exist between the men and the women from the companions of the Prophet Muhammad No one can challenge that. They did speak. But what type of speak? What type of speech? It was a speech that was uh, shadowed with umbrellas of decency and adab and mannerisms, and respect, and take note of this one, necessity. That was their communication with one another. Adab, mannerisms, respect, decency, and necessity. That's how they spoke. And there was this famous study that happened at the University of Wisconsin, Wisconsin Eau Claire, where they took 44 college-age uh, students. Some of them were uh, single, others were uh, in a relationship, and they, and they paired them together and they studied them over a period of about a year. And these people were friends before, up to two years to 11 years of a friendship. Boys and girls, they put them together and then they assessed, they gave them an interview afterwards. And they found that men almost always had an attraction towards the girl, but the girl didn't always have an attraction towards the boy. They found when they were interviewing them that the men consistently overestimated the relationship, thinking that something was going on, there's interest. And the women consistently underestimated the relationship, saying there was nothing going on, we're just friends. And now, subhanAllah, with the whole Me Too movement, it, it's showing Islam as being morally superior yet again. It was so wise when it said to you, be careful, be careful how you speak to the opposite gender and how you interact and with social media, this opportunity has just mushroomed, it's just exploded. Back in the days you wanted to talk with the girl you liked, it was just, I guess, a, a piece of paper, you write a message in it, you make it into a paper airplane and you launch it and you hope it will get into the window of her room, not into the lap of her father, that is. And some of the stories that our elders shared with us prior to them practicing are hilarious. Now you don't need no paper aeroplane. You don't need a, a ladder to climb into someone's room. You just need an 11-digit number, right? Or you need the social media profile name. You're into the bedroom of that person. You're telling me that's not a test? 
It's a serious problem, brothers and sisters. So this is the first point I want you to think about and put yourself under the litmus test. If you're failing this one, maybe you need to walk away. And look, subhanAllah, salah. What we did now is proof. Look at the arrangement of salah. Look at the formation of salah. How was salah at the time of the Prophet Muhammad where women and men, they prayed in the same room, but how? Well, look, salah, the purest of all actions, carried out by the companions, the purest of all people, in Masjid al-Nabawi, one of the purest of all places on earth. But look at the separation, because Islam is realistic, it's pragmatic, it don't throw you under the bus like that. Imam is a man, never a woman. There's bowing, there's prostration, there's compromising positions, there's also an element of leadership. There is an Imam. And then you have men who pray at the front. Where do women pray? Women, they pray at the back. Tayyip, what are the greatest rows for men in terms of reward? The? The front rows. What are the most rewarding rows for our sisters? The rows that are furthest away from the men, the back rows. Then the Prophet would say to the companions when they finish their salah, you don't turn around till your sisters, they get up and leave first. And there was a door for them called Babun Nisa, the door of the women. And they would leave by themselves, uninterrupted, in a dignified manner, not having to push and shove with men. He would say, you stay there, don't turn around until they leave. This is in salah, in full hijab, faces covered. And then the men would get up and they would leave. So you're telling me that this is the arrangement in salah, but all of a sudden on social media, what's going on sis, DM me. And that's not going to affect you, this is okay? This is a, if that was the case, our religion would be bipolar, it'd be schizophrenic. That it tells you that you do your salah like this, but then outside of salah, when there's no holiness involved, everything is a free-for-all? This is number one. What was number one, Ya Jahangir? Gender, interactions. Test yourself on that, be honest. Number two. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's veil. The veil of Allah Jalla Jalla. What does that mean? See, every one of us has a demon in his closet. Every one of us, let's be honest, has a sin that he or she is battling, a, a, a very difficult battle against. Whether it's pertaining to dress or music or women or men or whatever it may be, we all have that individual battle, every one of us. One thing is committing the sin and then weeping about it and saying astaghfirullah and then doing it again because you're human but you say astaghfirullah and you don't forget you don't, for, you don't give up this person is near the mercy of Allah that's one thing another thing however is doing the sin and then showing the world this is my sin this is what I'm getting up to as if to say not only am I committing the sin Ya Allah I don't even care that then transforms the sin and hyperbolizes it. It, it aggrandizes it. It causes it to grow to a new level of severity and crime in the eyes of Allah. Jalla Jalalu. Not because of the sin necessarily, but because of the, the mentality, the approach, the carelessness involved. This is my sin, and so what? Let me show the world what I'm doing too. This is called in Arabic what, ya ikhwan? What is the word for it? Al-Mujahara, exactly. Al-Mujahara. There is a hadith. 
which Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Abu Huraira, that the Messenger وسلم, said, Every member of my nation will have safety on the Day of Judgment except the people of Mujahara, those who publicly disclose their sins. And then he explains, alayhi salatu wasalam. He said, وَإِنَّ مِنَ الْمُجَاهَرَةِ أَنْ يَعْمَلَ الرَّجُلُ بِاللَّيْلِ عَمَلًا وَقَدْ بَاتَ يَسْتُرُهُ رَبُّهُ فَيُصْبِحُ وَيَقُولُ يَا فُلَانْ عَبِلْتُ الْبَارِحَةَ كَذَا وَكَذَا وَقَدْ بَاتَ يَسْتُرُهُ رَبُّهُ وَيُصْبِحُ يَكْشِفُ سِتْرَ اللَّهِ عَنْهِ Every member of my nation will have safety on the day of judgment except the people who show off their sins. And then he said, what this means is the following. A man who commits a sin at night and Allah covers him. Allah does not expose him. And then he gets up the next day. He says to the world, I committed last night this and this, this, that and the other. This is what I got up to last night. The Prophet ﷺ said, that night Allah had covered him, but he then tears apart the veil of Allah. So now with the advent of social media, it's easier than ever before to show the world your mistakes, your yearnings, your your, 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 your sins. No, keep that between you and Allah. That sin is not to be celebrated. That sin is to be wept about. When you think about it, you cry. Your heart breaks. Why am I like this? I shouldn't be this person. When Allah is my Lord and He's lent me my limbs, it's all unknown. I'm going to have to return it. I'm going to be six feet under. I have a resurrection ahead of me. My life is getting shorter. I see gray hair. Why am I still committed? That's the type of talk. That's the type of discourse that should be when a person commits a sin, let alone showing it to the world. Ya Rasulullah, man naja. A man said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, tell me about safety. How do we reach safety? He said to him, Amsik alayka lisanak. Control what you say. Number two, and your home should be enough for you. Not in and out, in and out, like your home is some sort of bed and breakfast, never to be seen. No, your home should be sufficient for you unless you need to go out. Number three, and cry, cry when you commit a sin. Cry over your sins, not show the world your sins. And who knows, who knows? Who is, will be encouraged to do what when they see your post and your share or your hashtag or the image that you posted or your status or where you were last in the where you were where you were at in the last 24 hours? Who knows who will be encouraged to do what? One can't bear to think about the prospects of meeting Allah with his own sins, let alone carrying the sins of others because of your encouragement, because of your post. This is mujahara. This is showing Allah, I don't care. It's a new level of criminality. Akhil Karim, sister. I speak for myself and I tell you this, I have my own addictions, I have my own problems, I have my own demons and the skeletons in the closet that I'm trying to overcome. So please, the same way it would be unfair for me to draw you into my world, it would be unfair for you to draw me into your world. Why share with each other our mistakes and our vulnerabilities? Why? Help each other grow towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does it make you happy, dear brother, that your carefully curated photo was then used by a sister or seen by a sister and now her heart breaks because she can't have you and she's thinking about you in salah? Does that make you happy that you managed to pull someone away from Allah? Does it have you, please you, dear sister, to do the same? Whether it's your profile picture or your social media app image, whatever it may be, and now this person in sujood, instead of thinking about his Lord, he's prostrating and thinking about you. How is that success? Or is that not a sign of worthlessness of a person in the eyes of Allah that he's used him for this type of behavior? So this is what? Number what? 
Number two, veil yourself, dear brothers and sisters in Islam. اجتنبوا هذه القذورات التي نهى الله عنها ومن ألم بشيء منها فليتب إلى الله وليستتر بستر الله Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said The hadith which al-hakim narrates on the authority of Ibn Umar He said Stay away from these impure sins that Allah has forbidden However, he said anybody who commits one of them let him repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let him veil himself with the veil of Allah. Let him do what? Veil himself. Don't tell the shaykh, don't tell the imam, don't tell the peer sahab, don't tell any one of them. Tell Allah. Say, I am sorry. And most importantly, don't tell the people through a post that you share. Mujahara. This is number two. Number three, the third part of your home test kit before you decide whether social media is for you or not. The element of displaying your happiness to people, your joys, the things that you got up to. Hold on a minute. The next time you're out with your friends at stakeout or whatever it may be, you're enjoying yourself with your brother, your sister, your spouse, and then you feel that impulse to put your hand in your pocket and to snap what you're doing. Hold on a minute. Just pause for a minute. Say to yourself, why am I feeling that? Why am I feeling the need to show people what I'm doing? Why am I feeling that? What made me feel that? Why is it that I need people to validate my happiness? Why do I need people to reassure me that I'm having a good time? It's as if I can't have fun unless people tell me that you're having fun. Now keep the phone there in your pocket and realize that when you are constantly showing the world your joys, your successes, the barbecues, the vacations, the Barbados. What are you doing? You're bringing the eyes of people upon yourself. You are bringing their eyes upon you and your family and your money, your health. And then you wonder why you have anxieties, why you're depressed, why, you're, why you're, your life is melting away before your, before your very eyes. You brought this upon yourself, we did. And that is why the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, the hadith which Tabarani narrates on the authority of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he said, Ista'inu ala qada'i hawa'ijikum bilkitman, fa'inna kulladhi ni'matin mahsood. He said, make sure that you hold on to privacy when you're fulfilling your endeavors, because everybody who has a blessing is envied. Did you get the hadith? Phenomenal words. Hold on to privacy, secrecy, when you're fulfilling an endeavor. Don't go telling everyone about it. Why? Because every blessed man has an envier. So keep people away from you. Keep the eyes of people away from your family, away from your property, away from your life. And if you need to share something, only share it with the people you love. Mom, dad, siblings, you know they only want the best for you. By the way, there's another element here of showing the world what you go up to, what you got up to, and the food and the latest steak that you just had. Hold on a minute. Does everyone have the opportunity to eat meat twice, three times, four times a week? Does everyone have the opportunity to spend 30 quid on a steak? You just got married and you're showing everyone your beautiful spouse. Okay, fair play to you. You've blurred out her face. Jazakallah khair. What about your brother next door who can't get married? What about the fellow next door who wanted to marry the girl that you're married to? 
You graduated, mashallah, your dad got you a BM. Does everyone need to see that? Maybe my car is a banger, I'm struggling with a basic Skoda. Is everyone a well-wisher for you? And then you wonder, why am I feeling so anxious, so sad? It must be, it must be black magic. Just go to your feed. You'll, mostly you will find the answer there without becoming obsessed with the idea of Ayn and magic and the rest of it. So this is number one, number three. The element of displaying your joys. Are you a culprit to that? Are you a victim of that? You just can't help showing the world everything you're doing. And what is interesting is that the unhappiest people, science says, the unhappiest of all people are those who portray themselves to be the happiest of people. And if it was just about you being happy, maybe we can achieve that. No, we want to be happier than other people. And social media is designed to show you that people are happier than they actually are. So how can you ever win? As they say that jealousy is about all the fun you thought they have. Jealousy is about the, all the fun that you thought they had. So cover your affairs, brothers and sisters. The fourth point is the element of the gaze. This is number what? Number four. The gaze. The eyes. Do we need to elaborate what has happened because of this since the introduction of social media and the unfettered access to the opposite gender? Come on, Akhil Karim, 95 million photos and videos uploaded on Instagram on a daily basis. And 350 million photos on Facebook uploaded on a daily basis. That's a lot of content. You know, the average 13-year-old today sees more content in one day than maybe my granddad has seen in his whole life. Because of the feed, right? So if you're unable to restrain the gaze, we know who we are. Then think whether social media is the best thing for you. And that is why Bukhari and Muslim narrate on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Beware of sitting in public roads. You know public roads, you know your city roads, you know your Edgewell roads where people just sat there with their pipes or whatever they may be doing and just staring at people walking. He said, don't sit in public pathways. Don't do it. They said, the companions, Ya Rasulullah, ma lana min majalisina budna tahaddathu fiha. We've got nowhere else to sit. This is where we talk. In other words, yeah, their, their houses were not like our houses with a kitchen and a bedroom, dining room and tea room. And it was just a small space. So they were genuine. They said, where else are we going to sit and talk and get to? He said to them, look, فَإِنْ أَبَيْتُمْ إِلَّا الْجُلُوسِ فَأَعْطُوا طَرِيقَ حَقَّهُ If you insist on sitting on the public roads, public spaces, your costas, your lounges, then make sure you give the road its right. They said, what is the right of the road? He said five things. Lowering the gaze. That came number what? Number one, lowering the gaze. If you're going to sit there, you've got to carry out the conditions. Number one, lowering the gaze. Number two, to not harm anyone. Number three, to return the greeting of salam. When someone says, salam alaykum, say, alaykum salam. Number four, Al-amru bil-ma'roof, enjoin what is good. Number five, forbid what is evil. Ya Allah. It's, uh, it's quite expensive. It's quite a task. 
It's quite a responsibility. You want to sit in a place like that? Fine, by all means. But these are the five conditions. And it begins with the lowering of the gaze. Why do I quote this hadith? Because this is not just about the physical highways, the physical roads, that's also the roads of information. The highway information roads. Social media, they are roads. Each app is made up of roads. Your feed is a road that requires you to lower your gaze and to not harm and to give salam and to enjoin good and forbid evil. It begins with the lowering of the gaze. It's a huge responsibility, this device here, this miraculous organ that Allah Jalla Jalaluhu has blessed you and I with. One of the greatest pathways to your heart. It is like a gutter that is pouring into your heart all what you feel inside of that gutter and this is the pathway here. As the poet, he said, He said, all calamities they began with the glance and all fires they begin with a spark. Allah said, indeed you're hearing and you're seeing and your heart there is going to be a question about all of them on the Day of Judgment, Allah said. So there's no point somebody posting a picture of himself, herself, and then they go, no pervs, please. Or uh, you shouldn't be looking. Who told you to look? La. The one who told you to lower the gaze is the same one who told you to dress up appropriately and careful how you present yourself. It came from the same source, don't cut and paste. Tell the believing men to lower the gaze and to protect their private parts. That will be purer for them. Allah, He knows what you are doing. And then He said, And tell the believing women to lower their gaze and to protect their parts and to not show their adornments except what is apparent from it. And then the ayah gives a description of the hijab. So the same ayah that tells men to lower their gaze and fear Allah is the same set of verses that tell our counterparts to fear Allah with respect to dress, presentation. That's balance. That's justice. The lowering of the gaze, most of it is not real, brothers. Dear sisters, you are aware of that. It's the whole fake it till you make it approach. You know that. And that's why Ibn Muflih, when he was giving us advice about how to help us lower the gaze, he says beautiful words. He said, the intelligent one should lower the gaze from the haram. Why? Listen to this. He said, He says, because you will see something that you cannot attain in a way that does not represent its reality. Did you get this? Think about it. It will help you and I to lower the gaze. It's a beautiful statement. Fear Allah when it comes to the lowering of the gaze. Why? Because you will see something, A, that you can't attain. Most of it is outreach. And the second problem, it does not represent its reality. It's not real. And that's why most things that you look at and you think, whoa, should you get a little bit closer? You say, ugh. Is that not the case? That's most things in life. It's an illusion. The whole dunya is mata'ul ghurur, the enjoyment of illusion. 
No, those cheekbones are not that high and that face is not that slim, nor is the nose and the contouring is all fake, it's just a filter right, and there's no doe eyes involved either right, because you gotta be careful nowadays yeah, brothers and sisters, let's be honest here I mean, just one Instagram filter now, can, it's, 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 just, it's just better than a whole facial coverage of foundation and setting powder and a bronzer and contouring and, 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 and all of that. Just one filter is all what you need. So the gaze, lower the gaze. We ask Allah to help us with this one. So test yourself against that and be honest. So this is number what? Number four, the fifth one, brothers and sisters, is this. Beware of encouraging sin. And that can happen so subtly when using social media. Beware of encouraging sin. What is the obligation, by the way? We all know the answer. When you see a sin in front of you, what are the obligations? To change it with your, with your hand, if you are an authority. If you can't change it with your hand, what do we do? We change it with our with our speech. If you can't change it with your speech, what do you change it with? Your heart. And that is the, the weakest of Iman. طيب. These are the options. This is the order of obligation. Interestingly, inter interestingly, that there are some people who disregard this completely and they go for a fourth option. Instead of changing it with their hands or with their mouths or just staying quiet about it but feeling pain, they encourage the sin. They promote the behavior. And that's exactly what you have done, what I have done when we see that image and we click like. What are you doing? That's sin by association. Or when you share. Or when you drop a comment. That does not help that brother, that sister come out of their darkness, their sin. That's sin by association. And that is why Amirul Mu'mineen, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, he once, or his uh, people uh, arrested a group that were caught drinking alcohol in the city. This is haram in Islam, and the punishment, the capital punishment, or it was about to carry out upon them, which is lashing. So there was one man who, who said, I wasn't drinking alcohol with them, I was fasting. He said, okay, inshallah, we'll begin with you. The punishment will begin, what are you doing sat with them? You're fasting, why didn't you advise them? Why didn't you move away? That is what we call sin by association. So just him being there without saying anything, Umar radiallahu anhu understood rahimahullah that he is to deserve the same punishment for not speaking out against it. And then he quoted the ayah from uh, Surah An-Nisa where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَقَدْ نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الْكِتَابِ أَنْ إِذَا سَمِعْتُمْ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ يُكْفَرُ بِهَا وَيُسْتَهَزَأُ بِهَا فَلَا تَقْعُدُوا مَعَهُمْ حَتَّى يَخُوضُوا فِي حَدِيثٍ غَيْرِهِ that Allah has already revealed to you in the book that if you hear people mocking the signs of Allah or disbelieving in Allah, then don't sit with them until they talk about something else. مثلهم, otherwise, you will be just like them. The same sin. If you're sat in that gathering, you don't move. What then of somebody who encourages through a like or a share or an encouragement? So you see a brother who posts an image or he posts, let's say, a status. And there is clear backstabbing here. He's venting his frustration of another shaykh, another student of knowledge. It's clear backstabbing. You drop a comment, you're like, you show him who's boss, bro. Yeah, you go for it. Show him what you made out of. You're right, I'm with you on that. 
expect the same sin from Allah if he is sinful. Or a sister of ours who posts an image of herself that really compromises her religion. And then a sister, instead of saying to her, Dear sister, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. May Allah strengthen you. Keep this for your husband. Keep this for your maharim. Remember what you will look like when the, when the maggots start eating into your eyes and eating into your intestines a week after your death when your body swells up. And remember, remember, you give her these hearts softeners. Her sister advises her. No, you click the like button. You've just encouraged her to continue. If this person is sinful, expect the same share for yourself. Yes? So beware of encouraging the sin, dear brothers and sisters. So, I want to mention a sixth one, and that is the element of being two-faced. Two-faced. Measure yourself against that. Some people, they have a particular demeanor, a persona in public. Sheikh, mashallah, dars, halaqa, salah, attar, you know, everything is going well. But then you look on the social media, you think, whoa, okay, is this person schizophrenic? Does he have a split personality? Is there a, a bipolar disorder of some sort? It's a completely different person. It's an all-out pimp. How can it be? It's the same brother in the masjid. But look how he's presenting himself on social media. This is what I listen to. This is the people I mix with. Here's images of me, what I was doing last weekend. This is my business. It's all haram. That's being two-faced. And the messenger وسلم, said about the people who are two-faced, and by the way, the same applies to our counterparts, our sisters, our mothers, our daughters. Who in, in public she may be wearing the finest hijab, may Allah strengthen them. It is a test, the hijab, especially today. But on social media, the presentation as if everyone's a mahram. Everyone is mahram. Nothing. How come? Is this not a form of a being two-faced? And the Messenger said, the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim Abu Huraira, he said that the Messenger said, Tajidu. مِنْ أَشَدِّ النَّاسِ عَذَابًا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ ذَا الْوَجْهَيْنِ الَّذِي يَأْتِ هَأُولَاءِ بِوَجْهٍ وَهَأُولَاءِ بِوَجْهٍ أَوْ تَجِدُ شَرَّ النَّاسِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ He said, you will find that the worst of all people on the day of judgment with Allah will be those who had two faces. They would give a face to these people and they would give a different face to these people. And he said in the hadith of Abu Dawood, Whoever has two faces in the life of this world will have two tongues of fire in his mouth on the day of judgment. Because you spoke to these people with this type of tongue and you spoke to these people with a different type of tongue that will be exposed on the day of judgment. So measure yourself against that one as well, dear brothers and sisters. That's number six. And I conclude with the seventh, which is time. Time. What's time saying in your life now that you are a social media user? How much of your day and your evening is it taking from you? And I want you to realize that some of us, when we have something nicked from our lives, we hop onto social media. Guys, have you seen my phone? Someone's nicked my phone. It's a Nokia, it's a Samsung. Wow, Nokia's old. It's an Apple. Or you say, uh, my car's been nicked. It's a BMW, this is registration number plate. It's a black BMW, but now it's gone. So you go to social media to complain of thieves, not realizing that social media has been thieving from you for the last 10 years of the life, stealing the most precious thing that you have, and the irreplaceable one, that's called time. We have been the subject of daylight robbery. Think about it. That's most of us, I say. That's why 
a man like Dr. Calvin Newport, who was an associate professor at Georgetown University, he said that social media platforms have hired entertainment engineers who borrow their entertainment techniques from the LA casino gambling houses to make social media as addictive as possible. There's a whole psychotherapy, there's a whole psychology behind the design of social media, that notification, that sound, the color contrast, that red number that appears over that blue icon makes you feel that you want to check it. In fact, if I showed you my phone now and you saw a notification on my socials, you would want to check it for me. It's like, do you want to, sorry, what? Do you want to check your notifications? Yeah, but it's mine, it's not yours. That's what happens, because it's highly addictive. It's highly entertaining. It's a slot machine that's been put onto your phone and you've installed onto your heart, right? So time, what does that do to time? It usurps you, it saps you of your time. If we are not careful, that is. Ya ibn Adam, innama anta ayyam. He said, O son of Adam, you are made up of days. Skin, bone, nerves? No, he said, you're made up of days. So when a day from your life passes by, part of you has disappeared. Part of you has disappeared. And Ibn Haqil al-Hanbali, who has authored the biggest book in history, in terms of volume numbers called Kitab al-Funun, he said, I have made it haram for me to waste a single moment from my life. Time, dear brothers and sisters, what are you spending your time with? Please. See, a concluding message before we wrap up this message, this lecture, and that is, it's about how you see yourself. What light do you see yourself in? Yani, when you look into the mirror, what person do you see? Do you see a helpless person, miskeen, with no ambitions, no vision, no future? So khalas, you've got to occupy yourself with going through endless scrolls and endless feeds and seeing the latest TikTok dance and trying to copy it. Is it how you see yourself? It's about how you see yourself. Or do you look into the mirror and you say, dignified Muslim, dignified Muslimah, I have a project ahead of me. I have a, a paradise I have to justify my tears for. I have a short life ahead of me. I have a Lord I need to honor and please. I have a community I need to build. I have a religion I have to glorify. I have a message I have to convey. I have a body I want to keep healthy. I have a dad I want to honor. If you see that person, then you wouldn't allow yourself to spend hours of your day endlessly scrolling because you know your time is gold. And you know your worth is more than that. You want to know your worth? Look at where Allah has stationed you. What are you doing? Man arada an ya'rifa maqamahu indallahi falyandur fima aqamahullah. Whoever wants to know of his station with Allah, just look at where Allah has stationed you. What defines your day? Like, how do you know if an employee has a particular status at work? You look at where his employer has stationed him. If he stationed him with the trash, you know that this is his position. If he stationed him as a treasurer, you know this is his position. So where has Allah stationed you? If you're spending your days just going through other people's waste and sewage, could it be a sign of your station in the eyes of Allah? It's not that high. So he's kept you busy with these petty stuff. Or is it that you say, no, it's time to give it a break. 
It's time to think big now, to plan, visionary style. This is a sign of where your station is in the eyes of Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. Brothers and sisters, I personally believe it's no longer sufficient to say, I'm going to have social media because it's harmless. So I'll have social media because it's not affecting me. I think that argument is out of date. Today, with what we know and the effects we are seeing on us and our children, the only opportunity, the only choice we have is to sit down with ourselves, to check in, and to look at the positives that you are gaining from your social media, and then you weigh it up against the heaps of evidence that are speaking today against or about the harmful effects of social media. Then you make the decision. And you will find, if you are honest with yourself, dear brother, dear sister, that for the overwhelming majority of us, social media is purely and only and solely and exclusively a source of entertainment. Nothing more, nothing else. And a form of escapism to run away from the challenges and the struggles of real life work and real life grind. So you want to know if social media is halal or haram, no one's going to give you a ruling like that. But you can give yourself a ruling on an individual level. Because why is alcohol and gambling haram? Allah said. They ask you about alcohol and gambling. Say to people, there is good in gambling. Or say to people, there is great sin in gambling and alcohol and benefit for people. So Allah is saying, look at how balanced their religion is. There is some good in alcohol. It can give you perhaps temporary, stress-free life, temporary moments. There's some benefit in it. People make money out of it, for example. Haram money, but it's money. Gambling, again, people make some money out of it. There are some benefits for people in it, but there are great sins, and Allah says, وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُوا مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا But the sins involved in them both outweigh their good. Thus they are haram. So you look at your social media in the same light. Is the evil outweighing the good? I've given you six or seven elements to think about. Is the sin outweighing the good? At the end of the evening, do you feel empowered, enriched? Do you feel spiritually refined because of social media? I say to you, oh, good for you, bro. More power to you. If you feel that, no, you feel, you feel that inner sense of rot, man. Lost. Dark. You know how the feeling. You just wasted an hour on nothing. Let alone sin. Then careful. It could be haram for you as an individual. You give the ruling based upon how you feel at the end of the day when you use it. End of the year. So brothers and sisters, please, this is an appeal, appeal. Even if you've decided to stay on socials for one reason or another, I say to you, remove those electronic hallucinations from your life. Check in with your Lord. And remove the applications that you don't use. Uninstall as many of them as you can. Keep the bare minimum if you have to stay. And then the notifications, disable them. Disable them. Move the application to a page that's not on your home page so that it's not always telling you you've got a new message. And then disable the, the notification so that you can't hear it. And then you assess yourself whether you have an addiction or not. If you get nervous when your phone is out of sight, you're an addict. 
If the very first thing you feel to do when you wake up in the morning and you still got one eye closed and you're tapping around trying to find your phone, before you say asbahna wa asbaha al-mulku lillah, before you say your morning athkar, bro, you're an addict. If it's the last thing you look at before going to sleep, you're an addict. If you panic when you feel a buzz in your pocket and you really want to interrupt the conversation, but you don't want to seem rude, you just want to see who messaged you, you're an addict. When will you realize this? So brothers and sisters, life is short. Your life is precious. And only put your time and effort in that which will give you the greatest returns in the hereafter. And about the FOMO, the fear of missing out, don't worry, you're not going to miss out. You can walk away from social media if that's what you've decided to do and you've concluded that it's harming you. You can walk away and guess what? You live a little bit happier too. And you'll still be relevant. And you still know, what, you know what's going on in the news. And you'll still be relevant in the economy. And people still want to hire you as a professional. You're not going to miss out. You just might be a little bit happier and a little bit closer to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are... Uh, some bits of reflection I wanted to share with you about social media. Maybe I've come across as a little bit biased. It wasn't the intention. The intention is simply to share with you seven uh, components that you can measure yourself against and then you decide honestly what your future is with these platforms.